Welcome to My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 369. This program is dedicated in memory of Rivka Batleya, and it's also in the schus and the merit of Baruch bin Yomen ben Menuchaleya, Miriam Bas Chayesar Altaz, and Yukusil ben Leia Rochel, and Rochel Bas Liba Farkash, dedicated by Pinchas Turdus, ben Miriam and Sarah Bas Rochel Altaz. It's an interesting thing that when you talk about the month of Elul, and I've traveled far and wide, spoken to all types of audiences, both people who are very knowledgeable and well-versed in Teda, and those that are not yet versed or sometimes completely ignorant of many of the ideas, not due to their fault, but simply because of lack of education and opportunity. When you talk about the theme, the theme that there's a month in the year, will you actually make an accounting and have an opportunity to repair, correct, improve the things that happened during the last year? At the same time, also prepare for the new year. And there's actually a month designated and a month that has that energy and that power. I've seen this so many times, it's just quite powerful. The idea that there's that hope, that life doesn't just go on, oh, what happened, happened, and we'll see what will be, and what, but there's, that there's a true direction and a certain sense of optimism in the future, despite whatever the past may hold. It has a certain uplifting power. When you think about it, it makes total sense, because life can go into the doldrums, we get into our routines, our patterns, and such that we almost are trapped by them. And it creates a certain lethargy where you don't feel things can change. As the cynics say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Or in the words of Kehelas, Ecclesiastes, where King Solomon writes, a generation comes, a generation goes, and there's nothing new under the sun. So when you have that sense that we're not trapped in this merry-go-round or roller coaster or twists and turns, it opens up opportunities. And all about our mind and our attitude. We can have many opportunities around us, but if your attitude is one that you're not open to it because you feel locked or trapped by your life, obviously it's going to be extremely difficult to access, even if it's right around you. Like a simple thing, you could be sitting right near a treasure, something very special, but if you're not aware of it, you don't take advantage of it. You don't use it. Now, this is even more so now when we are in a COVID era that began around poor in March 2020. Began, man, I say began, it began already back in November 2019. That's where they called COVID-19. But when we became aware of it, it began to become more vigilant. And we're now a year and a half afterwards. And sadly... This, as Tishrei rolls in, the new year, Tafshin Pei Beis, 5782, I'm sorry, we uh, seem to, a resurgence, variances, but now it's completely clouded with politics and doubts and who's right and who's telling the truth and who's not telling the truth and the different opinions. So it's very easy to fall into a trap of this uncertainty. What's going to be? on all levels, not just a matter of health, but also planning, planning an event, planning travel, schooling, 
And the list goes on. So we have a month of El, a gift that's given to us once a year, but now in this year, specifically for this year, that allows us a month which is called the month of compassion, it's called the month of love, it's mazel, is psula, virgo, which is about love, the acronym of Elo, I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me, a month that concludes the year and prepares us for the year to come, a month when Moshe Rabbeinu was on the mountain begging and beseeching God for hope, for forgiveness, and finally gains that forgiveness and that hope on Yom Kippur, which will be 10 days into the new year. So as we come to the last week of month of Elul, it's good to appreciate what we have with, with us. And each day has its own particular unique strength. This week, we're going to be going into Chafeel, 25th of El, which is the birth of the world universe, the creation of the universe on the 25th of El. Six days later will be Rosh Hashanah, the creation of the human being, the collective birthday of the human race. So these aren't just days, they're days that are filled and brimming with power and potency that allows us to access that and help us grow, help us dig deeper, help us navigate the vicissitudes and the ups and downs and twists and turns of life. And when you have that power of navigation, no matter what comes your way, no matter what storm, and we definitely pray there should be no storms, negative storms, that is. And only be a healthy year and a prosperous year. And a year of only blessings, reveal blessings. And yet life has all its unknowns, but we don't come unprepared. We come with all this power, this power of the month of Elul that gives us the energy. The Melech Basad, we call it. The king in the field. The analogy that the Alter Rebbe gives to explain why each day of El is weekdays, even though there's radiating this powerful force called the Yud Gimel Midas Harachemim, the 13 attributes of compassion and mercy of God, the secret attributes that God revealed to Moses, to Moshe Rabbeinu when he was on the mountain. So this is the first of all steps, talking about Chassidus applied for El, is to recognize and then access this power and allow it to be absorbed within you, and above all, to give you that mindset, the heart set, the soul set, the cognitive, emotional, and behavioral conditioning that we are in a month that has the power to correct, power to repair, to improve, to better, and above all, a power to begin and enter a new year. As the Kabbalists explain, Exodus elaborates, that when Rosh Hashanah will come, there'll be a new energy will enter in this world an energy, an unprecedented one that never existed before. That alone is an unbelievable statement. That means there's a new energy. You don't have to just work with what you had. There's also, what we had is plenty of potential, but a completely new energy. So we need to ride on it. This is the last week of the month of Elul. Next week we will continue this journey as we prepare for Rosh Hashanah itself. So let us focus on the themes of this week, the 25th of El, and also Parshas Nitzavim. This year, Nitzavim and Vayelech are separate. Sometimes they're combined, they're separate. We read this week Parshas Nitzavim, the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah. Okay, 
So let's begin with Chassidus applied to 25th of El. What did we learn from this day when the world was created? So you know there are two opinions in the Gemara. One was the world created, the conclusion is that the creation as we relate to it, the actual creation was on the 25th of El. 25th of Nisan was more in thought, more in a, diff- a deeper, pneumiastical creation, different explanations for it. And indeed, as we read in Chumash, we read in the Torah, every day, six days of creation, God created it to specific creations of that day, till it came the sixth day, Friday, that's when Adam and Chava were created. Zohar and Nekeva, Bores, and the male and female, the human being. Now the obvious question is, so why then is Rosh Hashanah not celebrated in the beginning of the, when the world was created? And why do we say, Today, Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of creation. It's already six days. And Chofayel, we don't do anything specific. There's no particular mitzvahs. There is a custom to read from Chofayel on till Rosh Hashanah, the story of creation. I cite it in, the, in my book, 60 Days, which goes to each of the days of El and then Tishrei. But Chafayel is, we know there's a special day, it's a special day, but it's not marked in any particular way. We don't celebrate a birthday. And the answer is quite obvious, because the birthday is celebrated of the creation on the day when the purpose of creation is coming, comes to fruition. As the Gemara Sanhedrin asks, the Mishnah asks, why was a human being created last? So it says... Now, the human being is the crown jewel of creation. The human being was given free will, created in the divine image to transform this world and make it into a divine abode, a divine dwelling. So why was human being created last? The Gemara, the Mishnah, gives two different reasons. One is because he's the crown jewel, which means, using the example that the Sanhedrin gives, that First you set the table, then you bring the special guest. You don't put, sit down the guest and then set the table. So the table set is the creation of existence, and the human being comes on the sixth day to lift up existence and to elevate it and to celebrate the divine creator that put all this into place. And then it gives an opposite reason. There's a second reason given, which seems to contradict the first. That when a person misbehaves, he's told... Even an insect, even a lowly mosquito, insect, preceded you. To demonstrate who do you think you are. And you transgress. Even an insect preceded you. So which one is it? Are we this most special creation? Or are we like a low, lower than an insect? So of course that's up to our free will. If a person chooses correctly, then they're living up to their destiny and their calling. So obviously... They're the crown jewel. If a person, however, transgresses, so even the insect is superior to him, not just to proceed it in creation, because the insect doesn't ever defy God's will. The creation of the world and all six days of creation are all like clockwork, exactly as the cosmic engineer put them into place. So the human being, however, can both elevate it and can also do something that goes against the creator. Famous Hasidic expression that when a wicked person walks in the street, the cobblestones cry out, who are you to walk on me? I never transgressed. Why are you a transgressor walking on me on the stones? 
So that's up to us. How we behave and how we live. So based on that, we understand why Rosh Hashanah is celebrated on the sixth day of creation. The day which is the purpose. Like the, You celebrate the, the dedication of a building when the building is up. You don't, not when the building is still being built. When the building is completed. And not just completed, but the, the main actor, so to speak, that comes into this world is now in place on the sixth day. That's Rosh Hashanah. So then what is Chafel? Why do we still remark it? We still say it's a day, it's marked, the Talmud tells us that this is the day of creation. So firstly, on a very basic level, this is the day when God chose and began the process. So yes, the birthday is celebrated when the human being is put into earth, but the very creation is also a big thing. The, the, a new creation, yesh ma'ayin, ex nihilo, where God puts into place the power of God's creative energy begins. As a matter of fact, Rashi and Medrash say everything was created on day one. But it was all like in a nucleus, like in one cell that had to then be developed and fleshed out, so to speak. Interesting question you could ask. What about the human being? Was the human being part of that? In machshava for sure, in thought. Because the human being is the purpose of creation. But in actuality, can you say that Vayikach, when it says Vayikach Shem Alikim Ofrimin Adomi, took a clump of earth from the ground, Vayipach Bap of Nishmas Chaim, and he imbued it with a soul, a living soul. Did that happen on day when? No, that happened on day six. Potentially, yes, the offer, the earth, all the potentials were there. But that act of giving a human being a divine soul, that's a sixth day, that's a Rosh Hashanah experience. And yet Chafael is the beginning of a creation because that is the platform. And that's why we honor that. Chassidus explains, but Chafael, Chafei, 25, and the word Koi. There's Koi and there's Zeh. When you say Zeh Hayyem, Tchilis Masecha, Zeh. This is, you're pointing there. Koi means as if. It's like comparing to. So, so. So it is when you say koy, koy amar Hashem. Because you're not t- t- focusing directly on something, you're speaking like it's similar to. So it's like kemoy, like when you say kemoy, say something, you say it's similar to something else, so koy. In that sense, it doesn't have that type of clarity directly, similar to the difference in ato and hu. Ato means you, hu means him. Eloshinister, third person. Atta is first person. So first person is replies uh, to the, the sixth day of creation, Rosh Hashanah. And Koi is not the thing itself yet because it's only a preparatory stage. But it's still a level of revelation. It's just a level of the revelation of creation. So in the language of Chassidus, that the Ha'ara Eliki, which is the reflection of the divine energy, that manifests to create, began in Chafael. That's when it begins to manifest. The primius of that earth, inyan atzmi, the atzmi of the human being, which is the purpose of creation, that begins, that is on Rosh Hashanah. But we know that the purpose is to elevate the world on its terms. So you need to have chafayel, you need the world in its place. And that seems to also explain another reason why the human being is not created first. Because first you have to create the level of existence on the existence level. 
the divine as it manifests in existence. Bresh is bara lakim, the tzimtzum, the concealment that creates existence. And then comes the next stage, which is the creation of the primius or the atzmi, the core energy that is, comes from higher than say the Yishtashlis. So in different words, you can say Bechafei Elul, in the 25th of El is the creation of Yishtashlis, the cosmic order, say the Yishtashlis, and on the and Rosh Hashanah is the creation of uh, something that's higher than say the Yishtashlis, the Neshama that comes from a higher place, Chelik Elikam Memal Mamish, higher than the cosmic order, than the structure, than the building, to come to transform this building and turn it into of the Lashamra to serve and protect and turn it into a dira betachtenim, a home for God in this material world. What does it mean in Naraveda? That there's an Aveda, as Chassidus explains, that is more alpitam vedas, which means an Aveda that is more commensurate to our tools and our capacity. So it's like a teacher teaching a student. First you have to teach according to the student's capabilities. And then comes a level where the, te- where the student can start reaching greater places, expanding their horizons, and reaching even beyond our natural cap- abilities and being lifted to a greater place. So in Aveda too, we have Aveda Alpitam Vedaz, that's an Aveda serving, which makes with all your heart, with all your spirit, with all your soul. And then to go outside of your regular routine to go beyond your habits and patterns. That's the difference. So Chofayel, the Aved is more, we're div- revealing the divine within existence and its structure. And Rosh Hashanah bring the Er Chodosh, a new energy, unprecedented energy, from a place that's higher than Seder Shtash, it's higher than the entire cosmic order, as the Rebbe would very often cite the Siddur, Imdach, the Siddur that the, uh, the, Rebbe, the Mitla Rebbe published where he collected together all the discourses of the Alter Rebbe connecting to Siddur. So he explains in the memorium of Rosh Hashanah there that the entire existence goes back to its primordial place, back to its original root in the engine room, and only to be renewed again on Rosh Hashanah. So Chofayel is the divine energy as it relates to existence. And Rosh Hashanah is a divine energy that's beyond existence then, and then imbues and, and uh, permeates existence and elevates it to another greater place. And we too have both stages in our own Aveda. Every day when we begin our prayers and we begin our service of God, we begin first, Neshama Ba'apoy, like the beginning, the beginning when as soon as you're born, same thing as soon as you're reborn every morning, it's like Chafael. First, first you simply have to begin with Moida'ani, the basic acknowledging gratitude for giving me my life. Then as we grow and the prayer, the prayer goes like a journey, climbing a ladder, we come to a place finally by Shemunesa where we stand completely humbled, completely bottled. Like a servant in front of the master on a very higher level where we're reaching our place that's beyond our natural and our behavioral connection to the divine. As Chassidus explains, that in general, a person goes through the behavioral, the natural, then the emotional, then the cognitive emotional, and ultimately the cognitive, ultimately to the highest levels of connection with that, with the Creator. So, that covers that. Another question regarding Chafayel. Since time itself was created, 
How can there be a 25th of El suggesting days and months prior to that day? The 25th of El means the 25th of the month. El is the last month of the year. And, and Zman and Zanivra, the Magad explains, that asked the question, why was the world not created earlier? And the answer is because time itself is a creation. We are taught that God created the world on the 25th of El. That begs the question, if nothing existed before creation, including time, then how was there already a calendar running and marking time before creation and noting that it was the 25th of El? So the Rebbe explains this in a number of places. First of all, based on Teisvis, the Teisvis, I believe in Yevomis, that talks about Moila Toihu, that in calculations, a Moila Toihu means that even though time didn't exist, but you calculate it based on the time that will exist afterwards, like imaginary time. However, that still makes it imaginary. 25th of L is an actual day. So the ultimate answer is, because as time, exactly time itself is a creation, but when you say time is a creation, what does that mean? It could be any time. And remember, God created the world in a way that was a mature universe. When you looked at the world, when Odom and Chava were placed in the Garden of Eden, even though it was only six days old, they saw big trees. They saw stars in heaven. These are all indicators of a world that was there more than six days. Stars that were light years away. Trees that would take a long time to grow. Because God did not create a baby universe. He created a mature universe. So also in time, created in a way that it, as if it's already in progress. So there was no Chavdal El. There was no 24th of El. 25th of El is the beginning of time. And that itself, just like God has the power to create time, He has also the decision what day is going to be the first day. Since He wants Rosh Hashanah to be the central day when the birth, the birth and creation of Adam and Chava on Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei, the first of the month, so, this, so the creation of time, which, is, which, which means that there is no time beforehand, is exactly that, is a 25th of El, a world as if it's already in progress. Just like if you see the trees, or the question, the proverbial question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? The Torah answer would be both. There were chickens and there were eggs. There were big trees, there were small trees, there were seeds in the ground and the potential to create more seeds. So that's the brief answer to that question. The discussion about time itself being a creation deserves its own elaboration, which we'll do at another time. Let's move now to Pasha Nitzavim, lessons from Nitzavim. Why do we read this portion before Rosh Hashanah? So different answers are given to it. One of the basic is Atem Nitzavim Hayyim Kulchem that you are standing today all of you together. What's Hayyim that Moshe Rabbein is referring to? So Hayyim is Rosh Hashanah. Zeh Hayyim Tchilas Masach. And that's the day when you all stand together. God sees the entire human race, entire Jewish people all together. From the leaders to Chetiv Yitzach the wood choppers and the water carriers, all standing equally in the Tzavim Hayyim, Rosh Hashanah. That's the most obvious. Baal Shem Tov's famous Teda, the Medr says that Shabbos and we bless the new month. 
every Shabbos Mavarchim, the last Shabbos of the past month, the Shabbos before Rosh Chedesh, we, celebrate, we bless the new month, but we don't do that on the month of Tishrei. And there are different reasons given. One of them is to confuse the Sutton, among other things that we do. Parshamta says, because on that, the first month of the year, the new year, the Abish himself blesses. And he connects it to Atan Mitzavim Hayyim. On a deeper level, uh, this is explained in Eiratere Tzamech Tzadik, the Rebbe explains that Mitzavim is Nitzav Melech. It indicates standing strong. Standing upright. Rosh Hashanah is, the Indian Rosh Hashanah is standing in the Kabbalah sale where we accept the yoke of heaven and we crown God as king. It's the ultimate bittel. So Nitzavim is exactly what's appropriate to be happening on Rosh Hashanah. And it's an equalizer. Whether it's a leader, whether it's a woodchopper, everybody is necessary. A king can be a king without a nation. Not just a nation of philosophers and leaders, but a nation also of all types of people, all categories. So the very verse itself tells us the theme of Rosh Hashanah. Another thing it says that Pasha Kisove is a chapter that talks about some of the negative things, not blessings. You don't want to also read a chapter before Rosh Hashanah of that nature. It's similar to what it says about the Chukosai. That we always read Bamidbar before Shavuos because you don't want to, you want to separate because Bukhukhesi also talks about negative things. And there are other explanations given for this as well. Above all, it means that we have another opportunity to prepare for Rosh Hashanah on the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah. In this case, the week before, because we read Nitzavim throughout the entire week. Nitzavim, Nitzav Melech also indicates an unwavering standing a type of unwavering commitment. And that gives us a message as well of that type of unwavering decision we make to commit to, the, to, the, to the God and to the resolutions we take on in serving God in the coming year. Another question about Natsovim that came in was, what is the deeper meaning of Kikar Velecha Adover Ma'id, which is in this week's chapter, and why do we need an entire tiny to explain this verse? So let me read a more detailed question here. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, first I want to wish you and all your viewers a sweet and happy new year, full of inspiration and success, and may it be enjoyed in the best of health. In Parshas Nitzavim, while Moshe is giving his final speech to the nation, one of the most important psukim, he says, is This pasuk is so important that the Rebbe included it in the 12 psukim and mar chazal. We're talking about the 12 verses and statements that the Rebbe established in the years 1976, like by Imer time, that uh, children say and uh, adults say became part of a part of a tradition included this Pasuk. And the Alter Rebbe wrote the entire Tanya to explain this verse. That explains why this verse is so important, he's saying. I'm a simple working class person. I'm not yet learned or wealthy, but, there's, but that's coming soon. Okay. Amen. In my current simple understanding of the Pasuk, it means Hashem is telling us not to be afraid that we can't fulfill all the mitzvahs because He is giving us all the power, energy, and faculties to do to, 
faculties to do so in advance. Because the power of our soul permeates our heart, speech, and actions to inspire us. If you can give a deeper intuitive explanation, that would be appreciated. Thank you. Okay, so yes indeed, this is a verse that the Alter Rebbe writes on the Sharblat, the cover page of Tanya, that the whole Tanya is based on Yusid and this post to explain well how it's very karav. The Ficha and in a long and short way, with God's help. Now, Tanya, we know, is the Teresh HaBiksav of Chassidus, the written Bible of Chassidus, which means it encompasses all of Chassidus. So you can say all of Chassidus is coming to explain So two questions in this context. First of all, why, what's not understood in the verse that the Alter Rebbe has to write a whole sefer of 53 chapters to explain it? Secondly, what is the meaning of the verse? What did Moshe Rabbeinu come to say? Yes, one simple reason is to tell us that it's accessible. But why would we think it's not? So both these questions answer one another by understanding what Moshe was coming to say. First, Moshe says that you may think, doesn't use those words, but he makes the statement, he says that the Torah is later chaykehi, it's not distant, it's not across the wide sea, it's not in heaven. So Karev counteracts the word Recheka. Recheka means distant. Karev means close. This thing is close to you. In your Beficha, in your lips, in your speech, in your, in your mouth. Beficha's mouth. Lavavcha in your heart. Lasesi, your actions. Why would we think that it's distant or across the wide sea or in heaven? So many explanations given for that as well, but what's relevant to us is exactly that word, relevant. I once had the opportunity to ask the Rebbe if you can translate Korev Elech or Korev as relevant. The Rebbe made a check, yes. Check. Because Korev literally can say means close. What close means, what does close mean? Physically close. That you're sitting in an Aron Kedish near a, a, a ark, of, a Torah ark, or you're sitting there safer. Obviously, it doesn't mean just physically close. You can be physically close and still be distant from it. It means that it relates to you. It's personal and accessible. Because when you learn Torah and mitzvahs, you can ask yourself the question, look at the big world around us. There's so many options, so many people doing their own thing. You could think of this path called Torah and mitzvahs. The path that God gave the Jewish people of Matan Teda 3,333 years ago is going to be difficult to access because we have material concerns. We have a lot of things competing for our attention. And in general, just to be committed to something when most of the world is not committed to it is difficult. We are social creatures. Furthermore, when you learn the Torah and the mitz- and mitzvahs, so some of them seem very easy to understand and relate to. Love your fellow. Be charitable. Be kind. But there's a lot of mitzvahs when you start reading them. What the connection do I have to it? Many chukim, laws that are super rational. Paraduma, the red heifer. Offerings. The laws of mitzvah, just to use a few. 
So you can ask yourself, does this connect to me as a person? As I said, the mitzvah has been Adam Lechavere between one person and another. You could say, refines us, makes us better people, we're kinder to each other. But many mitzvahs seem God wants us to do it. But why? I should better say, not why, but what relationship does it have to me? Not that we want that you do the mitzvah because it, you do it for something that it does for you, what's in it for me. Not because of that, but just some relevance, some connection. And especially as the years would roll on, Amesha was speaking not just to the people then. Look today. Both Jews that grew up as Teneka Shanishbo, unfortunately, or those that grew up in very observant and Torah-educated and committed homes, both suffer and challenge, with this challenge and this dilemma. What's the relevance? I'm not talking about following the laws. That anyone who's an observant person follows. But how many people will open up a Torah if they have a challenge in life, a difficulty at home, or in their personal lives, or in their work life? Psychological issue, an emotional issue. How many people are going to open up a parsha and say, here's my answer. We say. It's our life and our sustenance, our oxygen. So we should turn to it for everything we need. Most people will not. I would say most, not, almost all will not. If a person who's not observant doesn't know the value of Teda, they don't even know to look into it. And they may even have negative attitudes because of experiencing the irrelevance of it due to the way it was taught to them or presented. And the same thing with people who are Torah observant and completely studying and learning and so on. Yes, they learn it with love, but is it relevant to your personal life? Are you going to find the answers to your dilemmas there? So Moshe Rabbeinu is saying, whether you say, is it the Torah, is it mitzvah, is it shuvah? There's different interpretations. But it's relevant to you. It's accessible to you. It is your life and your sustenance. Torah meloshan heirah. The word, very word Torah comes from the word directive. Guidebook. It's a guide. Instruction. Torah eir. It illuminates the path of life. Tells us how best to live our lives in both following, yes, what God wants, but also what's best for us because we were created in the divine image and the Torah is the blueprint that God's giving us like the life operator's manual, how to use the machine called life. Do these things and your life will be a healthier one, physically and spiritually. God forbid if you don't do these things or you do the wrong things, you can cause damage to this machine. So that's what Moshe was saying. It's not Rechek, it's not some distant or over across the sea or in heaven, a spiritual thing that we can't relate to. Karev Eilecha, it's yours. Eilecha Beficha, in both your thought, speech, and action. Beficha's speech, Bofavcha's thought, and Lasese's action. But now comes the question how? That's fine, you made the statement. Comes Alta Rebbe and gives us a whole Sefer Atanya to tell us, and you could say all of Chassidus, how is this relevant? How can we find the relevance in any given mitzvah? And that's where Chassidus comes. It teaches you what tefillin is, and what tzitzis are, and what Shabbos is. 
or going back to the very basics of Tanya, who you are. What makes you tick? That you have two nefoshes, a nefosh of the Bamas, a nefosh of the Kis, an animal soul and divine soul. And they're very different. One is driven by impulse and emotions. One is driven by the mind and reflection toward divine goals. One is driven for its own survival. And they battle with each other. And how do you deal with this battle? So then you learn that the Torah Mitzvah is given in order for you to deal with this battle and overcome and win and fulfill the purpose of your very existence. So Chassidus comes to explain, Eich, how is it cut? By understanding the neshama in everything. Everything has a soul. So then when you, make, let's say, you take a piece of food, you make a brach on it. It's not just the right thing to do. You're saying, thank you, God, for giving me food. You're revealing and freeing the sparks within this food. You're bonding. Your neshama is bonding with the, with the sparks and the divine sparks within the food. Just as one example. That's what Chassidus does. Eich. The how. And that's why when you learn Chassidus, it brings alive the entire Torah and mitzvahs, because Pnimi without it, you could still be totally committed, but it's going to be more like mitzvahs anoshim elamod, the mechanical, robotic, by rote. But when you understand the neshama, then it's passionate. It's karavelecha, not just technically, but emotionally, personally, spiritually. And yes, you can find in Torah and everything, in Pashtun Mitzayda and Parra Aduma, you can find relevant messages to your life. This is one of the hallmarks of the Rebbe's approach. All his Fabrenians and teachings always concluded, what's the lesson? Any diuk, any precise analysis, evaluation of any phrase, whether it was a Rashi, whether it was a Zoyar, whether it was a Pirkei a Rambam, a Siyam and a Gemara, or any Maimah Chazal and verse, what is the lesson for us in our lives? Even events that may be not happening today, physically, but spiritually. What does Chassidus teach us? Avram Yitzhak Yankov were people who lived thousands of years ago. But there's an Avram Yitzhak Yankov right here inside of your soul. Avram is the Chesed within you, and, Yaakov, and Yitzhak is the Gvura, and Yaakov is the Teferis. There's a Moshe within each one of us, an Aaron within each one of us. Yitzhak Mitzray. It's not just an event that happened. It's happening all the time. Every time we have to free ourselves from constraints. That's why we can say, in every generation, a person has to envision themselves as if they're going out of Mitzrayim. How is that possible? Many of us were never there and will never be there. Because Mitzrayim, Chassidus explains, is the deeper spiritual, psychological, emotional meaning of Mitzrayim. Limits, constraints, fears, inhibitions, insecurities. And we... Yitzhak Mitzrayim teaches us how to transcend, how to experience transcendence. The list goes on, but that's what Chassidus comes to teach. So now, a pasuk in this, in this Pasha, that we read, Pasha Nitzav, the Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah, look how relevant it is, look how foundational it is, fundamental it is. The next question. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I would like to talk with you today about the upcoming new year, which I understand is a Shnas Hashmita. 
a sabbatical year. Yes, it is. As far as I remember and from what I've seen in the sikhs of the Rebbe, that the Rebbe had a special koch. Yes, a special koch. I say koch. Dedication, passion. In learning the lessons of the Shemitah year in spiritual terms in our service of Hashem. If you can talk about the Rebbe's views on Shnasa Shemitah, I would very much appreciate it. Wishing you and your listeners among all of Klal Yisrael Mashiach now. Okay, thank you for that. Good question. So yes, indeed, we learned Pasha Bahar that every seventh year, the Pasha begins, Kisavoy al That when you come into the land, God is commanding the Jewish people that you shall rest the land. And then goes on and says, six years, you shall plant your seeds, sow your fields. Sizmer's kamecha, your vineyards, you shall also plant. And then in the seventh year will be Shabbos Lashem. So just like there's a Shabbos seventh day of the week, there's now a Shabbos, a sabbatical every seventh year. However, there the prohibition is not, not to do work, but not to work your fields, to rest the fields. Now, just as I said before with Chassidus, what is the relevance of Shemitah to our lives? In Israel, it has implications. Because it's referring to Israel. But what is Shemitah here in the United States or any country or any place outside of Israel? So indeed, every seventh year, when it was Nasa Shemitah, the Rebbe, one of the major lessons he would learn, Rosh Hashanah, many of the Rebbe's letters, Mechtovim Klolim, the letters that he wrote, the Rebbe would write twice a year, he'd write letters to call B'nai B'nai Yisrael, to the entire Jewish people, all the children of Israel. Before Rosh Hashanah, usually two, sometimes three letters, and before Pesach, he's also two or three letters. So in the letters that were always written before a year, Shnasa Shemitah, that was usually the central theme. Different lessons learned, but one basic one was that in the Shnasa Shemitah, because they worked, remember, it was agricultural times, so when they didn't work the fields, what did they do? They spent a lot more time learning Torah. It was like a year, a sabbatical. You even have today, in the, in the secular world, I'm taking a sabbatical. Professors, teachers, educators, taken from this concept. So they would sit and learn more Torah. So that was one of the lessons that this year should be dedicated more to learning. Opportunity to be less involved and less overwhelmed by the materialism of life. So even though today it's not an agricultural society, but everyone has their fields. Sada doesn't always mean only the actual field. It can mean in general involvement in work. So it's a year that's a Shabbos Diki year. Again, Shabbos not in physical work in general, but a Shabbos is the key that everything is elevated to a deeper and higher level. So you have more opportunity to spiritualize and refine our lives. Briefly put, so as we come to Shemitah, that we live this lesson. All we have to do is look back at letters that the Rebbe wrote, Sichas. And throughout the Shemitah year, the Rebbe would often talk many lessons about Shemitah. I just mentioned one, there are many, many others which hopefully we'll do throughout the Shemitah year, as the Rebbe directed and guided us. Okay. 
since we're talking about the new year, another thing. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, have a happy new year. In the past, the Rebbe used to, used to assign an acronym for the new year. I remember in Tov Shinun, the Rebbe said, Tehishnas Nisim. Yes, the acronym of Tov Shinun. Do you know if anyone assigned an acronym yet for 5782? So just a little history. My recollection is correct. The Rebbe first did it in Tov Shimembeis in the year 1982. Tov Shimembeis, Tehishnas Bias Mashiach. Membeis, Bias Mashiach. In Tov Gimel, it was Gili Mashiach. In Tov it was Divrei Mashiach. Melech HaMashiach in Tov Hey. And then when it came to Tov Nun, it was Tehishnas Nisim. Tov Nun Aleph was Tehishnas so yes, the Rebbe established acronyms. But this the Rebbe did. I, in general, am careful. When the Rebbe does, establishes an acronym, it's a Rebbe doing it. So if you're going to speculate already, then we have to go on the guidelines of the Rebbe. So in Tov Shinun Aleph, the Rebbe said, Teheshnas Adenin Niflois. In Tov Shinun Beis, the Rebbe said, Teheshnas Niflois Bakel. Wonders in everything. Bakel, Mikel, Kel, the Rebbe used the expression quite often. So if you're going to compare Pei Aleph to say Teish Nas Ployis Arenu or Arenu Ployis without the Nun of Niflois, then you could say the same thing. Ployis Bakel. Teish Nas Ployis Bakel. Wonders in everything. But again, I qualify this as a speculation. I'm not going to say it in any definitive way. Based on, if you look at Nun Aleph and Nun Beis, and compare it to pay Aleph and pay Beis. Um, Shoch Sidim will uh, suggest different, uh, t- different acronyms. And as the Rebbe Rashab said, he doesn't like when people say Pshat Lachantanya, but if it adds in Yerushalayim, he doesn't mind. So if these acronyms add in Yerushalayim, even if we're not always exactly accurate, Chalapoch is that add something in your own connection to God and your commitment to Teda Mitzvahs and Spreadnik Siddhis, then, then it has that value. Next question, which is also fitting to the new year. Does everyone have the same mission in life of doing Hashem's will? Or is there more, specific, more specificity with regards to our mission to be fulfilled on earth? A good question, but it's very clear. So even though on one hand, on Rosh Hashanah, we renew our contract, and every year has its overall mission that's for all of us. But the fact that human beings were created differently, each one, ain't day is saying Shabbos, we have our minds are different, ain't parts of and Shabbos, our faces are different. So our missions are also different. If God wanted the two people to create the same mission, why do you need two people? So overall, we were all given the mission to fulfill, lift, learn Tatum, fulfill mitzvahs, obviously Yisrael, loving another, and all the commitments that we are obligated to do. But because each of us is different, like Reshechem, Shivtechem, Echetem, Veitzecha, there are people who have leadership qualities. Other people are more, are more workers. Each has their quality, and each one has, therefore, their unique way. And even among that group itself, people have different styles, different skills, different talents. So our mission is not just the general mission to make a dira b'tachten, to make a home for God in this world, but to use our particular skills in doing so. 
There are people who are writers, there are people who are musicians, there are people who are educators, people who are administrators, people who have different strengths. And each of us has to do our thing together, collectively, then we have all of us are doing our part, just like you have Kehanim Levim Yisraelim. The Kehanim serve in the temple as do the Levim in different ways, the Levim through song, and the Yisraelim in their way. So everyone has their role. And it's critical to f- discover your personal mission, your personal shlichus, why Hashem chose your neshama and put it into your body and put it to this p- time of life, this time in history, and this place where you are to fulfill your unique mission. Which is also different. People born 100 years ago had the mission then. So there's many factors in life that help you define that and personalize it to your unique particular shlichus and mission. Why do our souls need tikkun? I guess you're referring to the question, you see sometimes it says tikkun and neshama comes for tikkun, whether it's a gilgul to repair something it did not do in the previous lifetime. But on the other hand, the Rebbe says clearly in Tanya, the neshama did not come down for its own tikkun. It came down to refine the animal soul and the body and the physical world. But Chassidus indeed talks about two things. One is the function to refine and transform this world. But in the process, the neshama also gets an aliyah. The neshama is not just a bystander. Because the neshama came down, you read the tzedek aliyah to this world, the neshama also gets elevated to a place that's higher. So it's not a contradiction. When you're saying the neshama, Atzma doesn't need a tikkun because the neshama, Tehidahi, it's a divine soul. For that alone, it would not come down here. So it comes down to transform the world. But in process, the process, the neshama does get an elevation because by doing So as much as a neshama has in the world to come and it benefits and enjoys the ziv, the reflection, the shechina, the reflection and the rays of the shechina of godliness and learns teira, there's something that's accomplished that can only be accomplished in this world the neshama is able to reveal the koyach ha'atzmus, the power of the essence of the divine that's only here in this world. The higher world is giluyim, the revelations. It's in the yesh ha'nivra, in this world. Like he says in chapter, in Geras HaKedus 20, and Perek Lamed Vovi says, The higher world, you can't say the purpose is there because they're a yirida. They themselves are not the highest level. Atzilus is a beautiful world. But if you talk about higher than Atzillus, it's even greater than Atzillus. So you can't say Atzillus is the ultimate purpose. That's one of the explanations there. So the purpose of existence is the Elam the lowest of worlds. Because, there's no, because here there's no revelation at all. So you can't say, oh, there's a higher world. So you have to say the purpose is what? Is to transform the Tachtenim, the place where there's the, the void of, that, where the Elokuz, godliness, is concealed and turn it into a home for the divine. So the neshama benefits from that, because the neshama, as high as it is, does not have that quality until it comes to this world, to do a mitzvah maisis, to do an actual mitzvah, and transform the physical world. In the higher worlds, the neshama can learn teira, can have love and awe of God, ava but not revealing the power of atzmos that's revealed only in this material world. So the neshama itself doesn't need a tikkun in the sense that the neshama is lacking something. But on the other hand, it gets an elevation and becomes far greater 
as it joins the body in this world to transform the world and turn it into a divine dwelling, a garden. Okay, let's go to another question. And this is a follow-up to last week. So last week spoke about Chayel, Baal Tov. So one person wrote the following. Connected somewhat to Rosh Hashanah too. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, last night on your podcast you very eloquently related many great stories and lessons from the Baal Shem Tov. I hope I'm not too late to the party with my question. In Yeshiva we were taught a story that two men in Mezibush were arguing and the Baal Shem Tov overheard one man tell the other you should be ripped apart like a fish. The Baal Shem Tov then showed the men a vision of what, what, of, the, of what that looked like and they were afraid and apologized to each other. He actually showed them what it means to rip a person apart like a fish. This story is related to teach us the power of speech. How much care has to be taken in what you say. My question is, what exactly is the power of speech? Can just saying something make it happen? If a man can say something negative like a threat to tear his neighbor apart like a fish, and that speech has power, then certainly can it be said if someone says something positive that has an equal or greater power? I will now test this. I will win the grand jackpot of the lottery tonight. I will win the grand jackpot of the lottery tonight. I will win the grand jackpot of the lottery tonight. He says it three times. There, I said it. And I said it three times, so it's now a chazaka, and Hashem, our God, must now fulfill it. <laughs> Expect a large donation check from my mice and money to the Meaningful Life Center. Thank you and Happy New Year. Okay, well, thank you for that. Um, the power of speech. So when it comes to Eberster, we know, B'dvar Hashem, Shemayim Nasu, Diburash HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Chashem Maisa, that actually with words he creates. But we also say by the human being that Dibur Chashem Maisa, like when it comes to davening, with the Bartabom, learning, Al-Tarebbe speaks about it in chapter 38, in Tanya, Akima Svosov Hava Maisa, the movement of our lips is like an action. Now it is an action. It may be not an action like building a house, but you are you're moving your lips. Words are being formed. Words are being expressed. But still, in the three garments, we say machshava, dibur, maiseh. Machshava is internal. Dibur is expressing to another. And maiseh is actually building something. But there is something in dibur that overlaps with maiseh. So that's number one. Number two, why is that the case? Because remember, it's coming, Dibur is an expression coming from a person, expressing it outward. We see, with words, you can hurt and insult someone. It says about Lashon Hara, you can kill a person. You kill three people when you speak Lashon Hara. The person that speaks, the person that listens, and the person that you spoke about. And we see it all the time. People gossip, slander. It's just words. They can say, I just said it, so what? I didn't do anything. I didn't act on it. Well, words have impact. They have impact on other people. It can create a, re- it can create a reputation. It can destroy a reputation. Baal Shem Tev, the owner of a good name. Shem Tev El Al Gabeim. Kesher Shem Tev El Al Gabeim. The crown of a Shem Tev El Al Gabeim. Even though it says three Ksadim Heim, Shlesh Ksadim Heim, Tere, Melucha, and Kuhuna, 
And then it says, Ask the Rebbe, then it should have said four crowns. Because so, so, the fourth one, you can directly do. The Torah, you can learn Torah. You're a king, you're appointed a king, you're a child of a king. Kuhuna, the same thing. Comes through Yerusha, through, through your father. You cannot do anything. It has to be something that others recognize your reputation. But not to digress, Dibur has power. Negative and definitely positive. When the Rambam says one act, not just one act, one good word, and Machshavach is one good thought, is Machriya tips the scales and brings the world, brings you and the world redemption. Even thought, but we're talking about now by words. So yes, the mitzvahs that are tluyas bedibur are here to elevate our speech, to be careful about what we say, to make sure to use your words, the words, refined words, words of teira, words of tefillah, prayer. So the answer is absolutely yes. And in addition, it says that dibur also expresses your insides. Nafshi yotze bidabre. The nefesh is expressed through dibur. So there are people who speak superficial things. They could say, okay, it doesn't express much when you talk about the weather or sports. But then you see a passionate speaker or you see a person who's in pain or in joy expressing themselves. A warm thank you, a warm good morning. These are not just words. They express who you are. So it's one of the expressions, the levusha hanefesh. And we can elaborate even more and more on this topic, spoken about in many places, in Hecholzu, I'm sorry, in Ranat. Hecholzu is a maimon in Ranat. In the beginning of Ranat, the Alta Rebbe Rashab speaks about it as well. And it's a fundamental principle. It's also ultimately human beings are called medaber. And the Rebbe in a famous Sikhi Yisrei, Chelik Vov, Lekut explains why medaber. It should be called maskil, seichel bar seichel. Because dibur is the expression that's unique to humans, the ability to go out of yourself and communicate with another. It's the, it's the essence of a relationship. So obviously the relationship is not just the words that we say, but the words allow us. I can communicate what I feel, what I think to another, and I can listen to them communicate to me. If we didn't have dibur, we wouldn't have that type of connection to go out of our own self and our own self-interest. So dibur expresses the so-called the, the ruchnis, the pshittus, the ability to go out of yourself in communicating and relating to another. And as I said, the list goes on. There's much more that can be said. But the bottom line lesson is, yes, be careful of what you say. Go into a new year. Make sure your words are always refined, kind, generous, positive. And that can create worlds. It changes worlds. That's what Dibur does. The Gemara says, based on the Pasuk, a person is worried, as anxious. What does that mean? So one interpretation is distract yourself, but another is speak about it. Speaking, the essence of what all type of communication and healing, therapy, mentorship. You speak, don't be silent, express yourself. And there you see as well, both the words that you express to another and their words of compassion in return and love can change lives. Okay. Since we're doing follow-up, I'll do another few follow-up and then a few more questions.
So another follow-up was regarding the Golem. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I have a follow-up question to something you spoke about. In the story of the Frida Kareba that you discussed last week, being chastised by, his, chastised by his father for going up to the attic of, in the, of the Prague synagogue to view the remains of the Golem, you suggested it was not a good idea to go up to that attic because in a place where there was intense holiness that is now dormant, the negative forces can occupy that space. I said it a bit differently, the, not that I suggested, the Rebbe Rashab was the one that was upset about it. A place that you use the Shemiz Gdeshim, and now it's like, it's a place that you don't, it's, it's a sacred place, just like, I don't want to compare it, but it's similar to you don't dig up a grave. Why not? Because there, there's a, a, person, a person who's lived his life in this world, the soul, you know, it's a sacred ground. In this case, even more so, because it's not just a, it wasn't a human being, the, the, the Maral used Shemiz Gdeshim, and now, meant not to go there, had its time, and exactly correct, impurities gather in places of holiness. So here's the question this person has. My question is, if that's the case, why are we allowed to enter 770 after Gimel Tamas? There's no comparison. There's also an expression, Kedusha Lezazim Imkemo. Holiness never leaves. That's why we're not allowed to walk on the Harabayas, on the Temple Mount, even though the Besamidosh is no longer there. And it's desolate, it's a wilderness. But Kedushalei Zazimim Kema is the Rambam Paskins. And the same is true throughout every base Knesset, same Beb Shul, a Sefer Teda. Even when it's possible, you don't just discard it, you bury it. Now, 770, as the Rebbe said, saturated. First with the Friedrich Rebbe's 10 years. And then the Rebbe's all the years, the Rebbe was there by Gashmias, Davnik, learning, fabringing giving advice, all the tears that are shed. This saturates. So how are you going to compare it to, to so the Golem and other instances is a place, a place of, I don't want to say the word death, but the Golem is no less, it's not a shul. The, the shul was downstairs. The Golem is an attic. So the Kedusha of the holy names was used and then that's over. Now it's over with. Is there Kedusha there? You could say there's an element of Kedusha, but it's not a Kedusha that we're supposed to be accessing. So you say, so what's the difference Kedusha Lezazimim Kema? Well, as I said before, there are things that you don't, you don't, you don't tread on the ground of the, of the Holy Temple. There are places you don't tread, and there are places that you're supposed to tread. A shul, a basic lesson, a basic medrash, is a place of learning. There's no greater way to honor the Kedusha than by learning and davening. Now, obviously, no one's going to go sit in the Rebbe's chair. Or even when you go into the Rebbe's office, you go with a certain trepidation. So you go in there, and they're talking things that you don't touch. So you have to distinguish between these two, these two elements to it. The Kedusha remains and so on. With the Garb of the Goyalim, I don't want to say Kedusha Lezazim and Kemet because it's not really the language that you'd use for a situation like that. But I think the point is uh, pretty clear. Okay. Another question, follow-up came in, was, Hi, Rabbi Jacobson, about Temchit Mimim today. Here are some questions. How would you define Temchit Mimim today? Last week we spoke about Tezvavel, was when the yeshiva was first established 124 years ago. In Tafresh Nun Zayin. 
So how would you define Temchet Mimim today? Is the original structure with which it was run the prototype for all future years? Or is more of having certain themes that are meant to be implemented whichever way seems most effective? Thank you. Well, Temchet Mimim continues on. It was established by the Rebbe Rashab in Lubavitch, city of Lubavitch. There were different Snifim, different uh, branches in different cities. And then it moved to Europe, Friedrich Rebbe, to Riga, Atvotsk. And then when he came to New York, of course, Yeshiva's Temchet Mimim in New York. And we have today many, many branches all over the world. The basic fundamentals of Temchet Mimim were stated by the Rebbe Rashab, Friedrich Rebbe and the Rebbe, starting with Kunter Seitzachayim, the different letters that the Rebbe Rashab wrote, and Sichas he spoke, the Friedrich Rebbe has on it, the Sich of Kola Yetzel Muhammad's Beis David we spoke about last week, and many, many Sichas of the Rebbe. What's the Tafkit? So the Tafkit is to learn Gemara, to learn Nigla, to learn Primis Atera, and above all to turn Jews into Yiddish Shemayim, Tamidim, who will be soldiers and go fight the wars the spiritual wars with the Teir and Chassidus they learned. Chassidus permeating it with a primis, with a chais, a passion. Now in Lubavitch it had its form when it came to America, it had its form. And now it became something that the Rebbe educating his Talmidim and Talmidis, because Temchat Mim also extends to the women's schools in a broader sense of the word, as the Rebbe explains, to create the shluchim and shluchas that have gone over the, around the world to conquer and to build and to spread Tehid and Yiddishkeit and Chassidus wherever they go. So of course it takes on different shapes based on different needs, just like in the communities themselves. Sometimes you need a school, you need to deal with, the, with, the, with children, you need to deal with, adult, with adults, with the elderly. You have different elements, different programs, all based on the same central themes of Temchit Mim. The prototype of the physical building, I don't know, I never heard that there was a particular prototype. I think that really comes down to a technicality, just to fill the, the final question that you had on that. Okay. To go back, since we're talking about this, so a question came in, that's like this. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, first, thank you for such a fantastic program. My family has benefited immensely, as I'm sure have countless others. I would like to ask the following question with the greatest respect. Why do so many people use the terminology Teira and Chassidus? Is this really the correct way of speaking? Shouldn't we say Teiras HaChassidus, the Teira of Chassidus, or Chassidus Teira, or Teiras HaBal Shem? Shouldn't I am asking because one of my rabbeim once said that if we are learning Teira, then everything should be placed under the category of Teira. He always took issue with this phraseology, Teira, because if it is something else besides Teira, then what is it? I'm sure most people who use the terminology Teira, do not mean in any way to imply that Chassidus is something other than Teira. However, I think we are to be, if we are to be truthful, we should question whether or not it is appropriate to continue to speak this way. And if there is a legitimate reason for speaking this way, then I would like to please ask you to explain it to me. Again, I ask the question with the greatest respect. Many thanks. Okay. 
Well, Teres Achsidus is very clear. You're talking about the Teres of Chsidus. Teres Achsidus. The, the times where we say Nigla and Primis Atera. Nigla and Chsidus. There you're talking about the two different dimensions in Teda, the inner and the outer. There is that expression, Nigla and Primis. Those that use Teda and Chsidus, my assumption, I think I've used it myself that way, is they're trying to say, correct, it, it could imply something that is not correct, which is that Chsidus is not Teda, Chaz B'Shalom. Teda includes all the Teda that was given at Har Sinai, which includes Nigla and Primis, everything... But the people who do use it, they probably mean to say that, let's say we say, They're not trying to say chsidus is not teda. Trying to emphasize the general afotza of teda in general, spreading and disseminating teda in general. And also, part of that is also afotza sachsidus. I would have to check whether the Rebbe ever used that expression. But he definitely used the words afotza sateda, afotza sateda, afotza sateda, and afotza sachsidus. Not to suggest that chsidus is not teda. It's just emphasizing in teda itself. So when you say a shlir goes out to do a fotsas ha-teda yadus. The spreading of teda, the spreading of yadus. Isn't yadus teda? But teda is more the learning of teda or the whole chalki ha-teda. Yadus, you can say, is also the minhogi Yisrael or in general the Jewish spirit. There's a lot of things you could say yadus includes. Now fotsas ha-chsidus is based on the spreading of the specifically. So I don't think anybody means to suggest, but it's a good point you're making. Language matters. We spoke before about speech, precision. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's also important because when people, for example, if you just say, or you'd say, or what you say, you say, just say, some people, is, as this may not be aware, Achsidus is part of Teda. So you're saying Teda, Achsidus, you're saying Teda, and in Teda itself, the Achsidus of Teda. That's the way it's, I'm sure, the intention. But the point well taken, and thank you for that. We'll do two more, uh, two more questions here. One is about the Taliban. We'll have them we'll move over. After being defeated for 20 years, the Taliban have come back and took over Afghanistan again. Again. Is there a prophecy that says evil will make one last stand before Mashiach comes? Well, it does say that Eben Purim Memzayin made a big thing, Tavshim Memzayin, that when Mashiach comes, before Mashiach comes, there'll be Yisbaru V'Islab Na'advarim. So a lot of the negative elements that we sometimes see is part of it like coming out of the woodwork, like, like the, the grime coming out of the pores. As they're being cleansed, the final stages you see that the bubbling of the toxins, the last toxins. So you could say that, um, that is part of that. I don't want to speculate, because again, it's not something that's anything but fetish. And we say evil makes one last stand. We already had enough of that in World War II, so we don't need more of it. But if there is still pockets, and there are places in the world that we see there are, and something you see coming from there, it's very likely, yes, that it is, so to speak, I don't know, last stand, but it's a revelation of some of the, the garbage that still needs to be cleaned up, as well as not just the, the Taliban, other things as well that we see in the world today. Another question someone asked, 
Hello, Rabbi Jacobson. Yesterday I was driving in the Catskills and a deer ran across the road and I crashed into it and killed it. Thankfully, my wife and I were not injured. There was no damage to my car. Even though I did nothing wrong to cause the accident, I wasn't speeding or distracted by my phone, etc. I still feel guilty that an animal was killed due to an accident that I was involved in. What are some ways I can make this up to Mother Nature? Would it be appropriate to make a donation to a local animal shelter or zoo that helps animals in order to offset the damage I caused? I want to end my note with a blessing to the community. May Hashem bless and protect us, and nobody should be involved in any kind of car accidents. May everyone in the community always travel and arrive safely at their destination. And may everyone be inscribed for a happy and sweet new year. Amen. I say on behalf of all of us. Interesting question. I'm, the Rebbe generally would say when people did something that they felt they wanted regrets, even things that were deliberate or someone who was eating kosher and then by mistake was in the place and they ate non-kosher. So the Rebbe said the tikkun for that is that obviously take on even more stringencies to make sure that you eat kosher going forward, but also be mashpia on others. Influence others to, be, to become kosher or to become more kosher. More hidur, more care. So based on that principle, I would say, even though this is not in that category, you didn't do something wrong in the sense we stopped your over on a mitzvah, but you feel even b'shegi by accident, we know Chassidus says shegi gosa has something, you feel you did something and the feeling matters, then the, I would suggest of something where you do help influence others to be more sensitive to nature itself, which we consider sacred when the Rebbe Friedrich Rebbe rubbed that leaf. Famous story, the Rebbe Rashab chastised him, reprimanded him of what you're rubbing a leaf, a leaf that God created in this world. So the idea of creating more sensitivity. About the charity, I don't really have an opinion. If you feel that that's something you want to do, go ahead, by all means do it. I don't see anything wrong with it. And in general, the sensitivity you express here, which is, I'm reading it, is very touching. You know, Halavai, all of us should be so sensitive to the things that we do and actions and behaviors, and even including something you're doing which is not even deliberate. So I commend you for that, and that alone is already inspiring to us all to be more sensitive human beings. So thank you for that. Now finally conclude with Chassidah's question, which is relevant to Rosh Hashanah, and that is, if God recreates the world every moment, and if he would stop, then the world would revert back into a state of non-existence. What is, then what is so special about Rosh Hashanah? It's just another day in the calendar where God is recreating the world, the same as yesterday and the same as tomorrow. Okay, very good question. So this is based on Shari Yochid Vamuna, where the Alta Rebbe is speaking about perpetual creation. That every second it's renewed. And if he wouldn't do so, it would revert back, like literally like it was before creation. So what's Rosh Hashanah? We say the Chidush, mentioned before, Geras HaKedush, Simin Yudalad, 14, a new energy that never existed before. That's the key, that never existed before. Ischatzus B'chol Rega, the renewal, the perpetual creation every second is called Chidush Hayashenus. You're renewing that which was there. So if you're 10 years old, you're renewed as a 10-year-old. 
If you're 20 years old, you renewed as a 20-year-old. God does not recreate it. Like from the beginning, you're a newborn. He creates, recreates existence as it was, making sure it continues. Rosh Hashanah is a chidush mamish. A new energy enters. Ah, you see the same trees and the same birds and the same world. So firstly, our eyes don't see all the energy. Secondly, not that God is also created. Tovshim Pei Beis is a continuation of Tovshim Pei Aleph. We don't say it goes back to year one. It's not, in other words, it's not a chidrush completely like it was the first year. But it's a completely new reality. So basically, you can say in chidrush there's three levels. Chidrush Mamish was once only. And B'chofei Elul, the chidrush that God created, existence, B'reshiz Baruch, Lekim on the other end of the spectrum, there's the renewal of that Breshi's body every second. And then every year, there's a renewal with a new energy that was never here before, still in the world that exists. But it's not just the renewal, the continuation of the contract, it's a renewed contract. And you go back all the way to the source, and it starts from... Now, in all levels of renewal, even the level of Chidusha Yeshenus, is also, if God doesn't do so, it all stops and goes, reverts back. But the Chiddush itself is more of an Eir within the Eir that exists. Make sure that it continues. Whereas Rosh Hashanah, a completely new leaf, a new year enters, giving us new opportunities, new possibilities. We always have new opportunities and possibilities, but especially Rosh Hashanah. So you could say it's like a macrocosmic renewal where each day is a microcosmic. Additionally, I would say that every day of the year, Rosh Hashanah is the head of the year, so all the energy of each day comes from Rosh Hashanah. So the Chidush of each day's Yishachos all originates from the Rosh, which is the renewal, the contract for the entire year that God renews the world with a completely unprecedented energy. This has been My Life Chidush Applied, episode 369. Everyone should have a Chidush in a healthy year, blessed with all blessings. We will be here next Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. It will be a special Rosh Hashanah addiction. I look forward. Have a blessed week. And let's finish the Achonis Te'el with a bang, in a positive way, bringing in a completely new year, the year of Gu'ula. Be well. This program is brought to you by My Life, Chassidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at chassidusapplied.com slash donate.